Welcome to Third and Nerd, the show that breaks down everything nerd culture with a little sports thrown in. On the show, you'll hear discussions about the latest superhero movies, TV shows, and comics as well. You'll even hear interviews from some of the artists and writers who helped create the characters you know and love. So strap on your super suit and fire up your flux capacitors, because here is your host, Josh Webb. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an extremely special episode of Third and Nerd. Adam has got the week off celebrating Australia's win uh, over uh, the United States and FIBA basketball. Actually, I'm just kidding. Scott is on vacation this week, which makes facilitating a, uh, a, 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 a multi-continental podcast extremely difficult. But never fear. I am not on alone. I have brought with me noted author and Twitter guru. I, I appreciate that he uses Twitter as effectively as myself, Mr. BJ Mendelson. And we are going to be talking about D23 today. But BJ, man, how are you doing on this fine Sunday evening for you, afternoon for me? Yeah, no, I'm great. Uh, thank you for so much for having me. And I uh, can't wait to dive in. There's, there's, there's so much going on. I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you take the lead here. Where do you want to start? D two three gave us so much. Do you want to start on the television side? Yeah. Because I feel like we could start with She Hulk. Yeah. I feel like yeah, that's think, an appropriate place. <laughs> that's, that's probably the place to start with me. Um, for for people who listen to the show who uh, don't follow me at BJ Mendelson for about a year now, uh, I've been working on a, a television pilot and Bible. Uh, for She-Hulk, and so uh, despite it going out to a number of parties and actually still being out at a couple of different places, Marvel and D23 announced that they will be doing She-Hulk, uh, which is something that I'm thrilled about but also slightly bummed about because I had this whole thing planned out uh, with Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who would have played Jennifer Walters. I think she is the best choice. Honestly, uh, for She-Hulk, if we're going to do like a CGI version of the character when she transforms. But yeah, it was a little bit of a bummer. Um, but I do have to pitch out to one other place. And uh, before we wrap up the interview later, when I give out my plugs, you'll hear about that place. Yeah, I, and I can't. We, we, we always do those at the end. So fear not, listeners. You will have access to that at the end of this. Um, you know, what I liked about your casting with Melissa Fumero of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is probably one of my favorite police uh, shows of all time, uh, is your casting, and, and Dan Slott said this on Twitter too, and I know that, that you were in strong agreement with this, 
But Dan Slott said, when you're, when, when you're casting this show, when you're creating this show, you don't cast for She-Hulk. Right. You cast for Jennifer Walters. And, and I've always, in, in my mind, envisioned She-Hulk as kind of a, a, a Suits-esque legal drama with, with a bit of superhero twist to it. Um, how, how do you see She-Hulk? Or what would, what would you like to see now knowing that this has been set? Yeah, I mean, the original idea that got the ball rolling, at least from my pitch, was like it was Ally McBeal meets She-Hulk. <laughs> like that sort of, and then that turned law and order uh, with She-Hulk, where the first half hour would be Jennifer Walters uh, be as She-Hulk running around and fighting crime, and then the last half hour would be her uh, in court trying to make sure that the, the criminal goes to jail. I don't know if that's the direction they're going to go in. I, I think that Dan Slav is spot on in that you have to cast uh, for Jennifer Walters because we already have a Hulk. You know, we've already got a big screen version of Hulk, and just having another one doesn't make her special. So you definitely have to cast for Jennifer first. So that, I don't know who they have in mind. I, I'm going to definitely campaign uh, for Melissa. But in terms of the show itself, I, I really do think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a sitcom in the way, or a procedural in the way that we think of like broadcast police and legal dramas because it's on Disney+. And I think that the, what I at least gathered from the other Disney Plus shows is that they seem to be these eight-episode self-contained miniseries. So as much as I would love for it to be a legal procedural, I don't think we're going to get that. What I love about Disney Plus, too, just on a side note, is that they've already announced that they will not be dropping, like, all eight episodes at once. It is going to be a weekly thing, which... For me, thank God, dude. Like, I, I just want some stuff that I can put on, relax, and, and get to at my own pace rather than feeling like if I don't plow through all eight episodes, something is going to get spoiled for me on Twitter. And and I can't have that. My my OCD won't allow it. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the way that they're stretching this out and creating it uh, uh, – as sort of a weekly deal to, to, to counteract the, the sort of binge nature of, of, of streaming sites. Um, while we don't know much about She-Hulk, we do know about some of the, some of the other shows that have been announced. We, we now have a firmer idea of what WandaVision is going to be. And it was sort of pointed out to me, like, I, I've been crapping on the name for a really long time because I honestly do think it's a dumb name. But it was pointed out to me, and I can't believe I didn't really recall this because growing up as a child, I watched Nick at Night religiously. And, and back in my day, when I was a kid, that meant Dick Van Dyke, Green Acres, uh, Mary Tyler Moore show, Mr. Ed, so on and so forth. Man, I, I still read episodes of, 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 what is it, Dobie, Dobie Gilmore, is that what it was? Dobie Gillis? <laughs> Dobie Gillis, that's right, Dobie Gillis. And, uh, and, and Gomer Pyle, you know, I mean, still, <laughs> still remember uh, these types of shows. And what they pitched with WandaVision is that it's it's going to be set sort of like a Dick Van Dyke uh, uh, a family style show, but a bit weirder. And it was pointed out to me that back in those days, they used to slap the word vision on everything. Yep. And, and that's likely where the name comes from more than a combination of Wanda and vision. And it, I, I'm kind of upset that I didn't realize that until it was pointed out to me today. Well, I, think, 
you know, I think it's understandable because I, I think that most of the Marvel properties, except maybe the Netflix ones, all have a similar look and feel. So for them to kind of come out and be like, no, this is going to be a hybrid sitcom slash like action film, uh, I, I think threw a lot of people through the loop. I, I kind of guess it only because uh, I was thinking of like Smellovision when they when they first announced it, or I was thinking about like, you know, I grew up with Liquid Television on MTV, and I was kind of like, oh, okay. This is going to be how she psychologically starts to break down. Uh, so, I, so I did pick that aspect of it up pretty quickly, but I, I was surprised that I was right. You know, like I was surprised <laughs> that they were actually going to do that because um, I was just guessing. Like when I saw the name, I was like, it, it has to be her mentally falling apart and them using the TV show to kind of deal with it uh, and, and kind of display it so that people can understand uh, what's happening to her and why she might become a villain for Doctor Strange or for uh, any number of the, of the future films. But for them to actually go forth and be like, yeah, no, we're, we're taking a risk, I, I think it's it's good for them. I think it's, I'm really happy that it seems like with the Disney property or Disney Plus properties that they're willing to try new things, which I think they really need. And and what seems to be the, the, the biggest boon about all of this is that whatever we see on the Disney small screen Unlike with the Netflix shows and Inhumans and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and even you could say the Runaways and, and uh, Cloak and Dagger, whatever appears on Disney Plus is fair game for the big screen. And we know that Wanda is going to appear in Doctor Strange 2 into the multiverse of madness. And, and it seems somewhat likely that, that well, first of all, we don't know how the hell Vision is going to appear in this. None of us quite had this full-on knowledge of, of where Vision is going to come from. So I think it sort of ties into what you were saying about her falling apart. Is this that lead-up to, to House of M that we saw in the comics where Wanda creates her own reality after just being beaten down uh, uh, by life? I mean, it didn't seem like she was at that place at the end of, uh, of Avengers in uh, Endgame, it actually seemed like she was in a pretty good place. Um, you, know, you know, one thing I want to add to it, because I've seen, I've seen that argument a couple times where Wanda seems okay. Uh, but but that doesn't that, mean for crap and mental health. Yeah, no, it's very true. And, and the other thing is that there is that five-year gap. Like, And we know that even you know, Steve Rogers is going to these support groups at the start of Endgame. Uh, and Thor is kind of dealing with PTSD, so we don't we don't know. I think that that's absolutely right what you said, where uh, she could appear, she could appear to be just fine, but there could be so much more going on, and I think that that's that's sort of important for people to hone in on. Yeah, and and, and I'm curious to see how they're going to play with that because because we saw we already know that they're going to be tackling Moon Knight. This is another property that's put out there, and Mark Spector. Uh, well, he's not all there. Um, <laughs> or is he? Or is he? We we don't really know. Um, and and it, it it feels like Marvel is saying we're not afraid to tackle mental health in our shows and characters that have these sort of dueling personalities, maybe split identities. Uh, I guess nowadays it's called disassociated personality disorder, more more so than split personalities. Um, but, but Marvel is saying like, we're not afraid to tackle this stuff. We have a whole lot of other offerings, but yeah, we're going to tackle some of the crazier heroes, 
uh, in Marvel to, to, you know, part, use a crash term. I, I, I am mentally unhealthy myself. So when I speak of crazy people, I also speak of myself. Well, I, th- uh, I think that Moon Knight can definitely be defined as crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that that's a very, and crazy is definitely a very specific term. And, you know, everyone has, should be a little careful with the usage. But I, I think when, we, when you're talking specifically about Moon Knight, uh, crazy is, like, that's how I explained him to people who weren't familiar with the character. Uh, they said, why should I be excited about this? And I said, it's crazy Batman. Yeah. I mean, I kind of heard that argument, and, and I'm not entirely sure. I'm not, he's crazy Batman if you go back to the Batman of the 40s that had no compunction killing his his foes. Right. Like, Moon Knight is one of those rare anti-heroes, what you call them, sort of like Deadpool, the Punisher, Elektra, where they have no qualms about killing people. Most of your heroes set out, it's a zero-sum game to them. Any life loss of life, on either side is 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 completely unacceptable to them. But you know, with Frank Castle, with with guys like Midnight, they may have a moral code, but it definitely doesn't stop them from committing well mass murder. Uh, hey, can, I, can I give me my pitch for? Well, it's not really a pitch, but I, so I have this this theory that we're going to see Marvel kind of break off into. Uh, R-rated territory and then non-R-rated territory, and the reason why is because they now Disney now has full control over Hulu, and numerous times in the run-up to getting majority of ownership of Hulu, they've said we plan to put the more like R-rated adult content here. So I, I've got this theory that Moon Knight, uh, at, you know, might not necessarily be on Disney Plus, but I think that Moon Knight and Blade might actually be the start of like a Marvel Knights. Uh, where we'll start to see some of the harder our content appear on Hulu. So I don't know. Do, do you know if they specified specifically that Moon Knight is Disney Plus, or is it just part of the timeline? I I don't know. I you know that's that's a damn good question. Let me check that right now. Moon Knight show. Is it going to be Disney Plus? Moon Knight. All right, they're getting their own Disney Plus show. Is what it seems to be that it looks like. But I, I think all of this stuff is movable because Marvel really right. hasn't announced a plan. But when somebody was asked uh, at D23, I saw the tweet, and, and I, I don't know who it was, but I know it was a a source reporter that put it out there, and he asked if, if uh, any of the R-rated stuff was going to go on Disney Plus, and they were pretty affirmative in the fact that no, we we are going to keep Disney Plus family friendly. And then he said, "Well, does that mean that the R-rated content is going to go on Hulu?" And the reply was, "That's a fair assumption." Yeah, they've been. They're, I mean, they've, they've been. They've, they've intentionally so because there's still some regulatory issues with uh, Disney having full control over Hulu. Like it was never. It, the Hulu was always a partnership, right? Like when it first formed, it was a partnership of all these different uh, networks. So it was never designed for like one studio to own it. Uh, so there's some major issues there, and I think that's why they're kind of being cagey. But yeah, I, it, they they were intentionally vague. You know, it just says She-Hulk. We don't know if there's really. And it's still a while out. I think it was 2021. 20, 2022 is Black Panther. So 20. And I want to ask you. What you might know about this with She-Hulk before I forget. Okay, so we know, and we'll talk about it in a little, but we know what Feige and Sony have said about the partnership with Spider-Man. But 
if we have She-Hulk appearing on Disney Plus, and the rumors are swirling extraordinary heavily that the villain in Doctor Strange 2 is going to be Namor the Submariner. Now, Amy Pascal left him, and she's now at Universal. I have never been fully sure on the rights issues with Universal. Uh, uh, I know that they have Namor and the Hulk properties, but I don't know whether that's strictly for film or if that means uh, Marvel entered into an agreement that we don't know about with Universal, where because Universal leading up to this had been impossible to work with. That's why Marvel just said, screw them, and set out and did their own thing, because they didn't have to ask permission, as long as the Hulk wasn't a standalone movie. But yeah, I, think I think that that's yeah. going to be the case with Neymar. I think that we'll certainly see him as the villain for Black Panther 2, uh, because he can't star in his own thing. I, don't, I know that there was a report about a year or two ago saying that Marvel had the rights back to him, uh, but then that was refuted. So yeah, Joe, wasn't it Joe Cazada who said that? And then somebody yes. was like, Joe might not know fully what he's talking about here. And yeah, and let me tell you just from, uh, and I can't, I'd have to be careful of, of what I say, but uh, these corporations watch the use of well, who uses what character and how very carefully. So uh, it, it would not surprise me if that if they're just doing what they did with the Hulk. And She-Hulk is sort of a weird uh, in a weird gray area, uh, and I can speak to this a little bit, because with She-Hulk, um, she, uh, in the 70s, Marvel kind of had this issue where uh, they were worried about people grabbing up the rights to the different characters uh, because he had the success in the Incredible Hulk show and a few other things. And so She-Hulk only exists because they want to make sure no one else grabbed the rights to her because there had been some talk of introducing a She-Hulk character uh, in the Incredible Hulk TV show. So her her legality is in a little bit of a different area from the Hulk, uh, where Marvel kind of went out of the way to make sure that they have her. So I don't think that she falls, and I could be wrong, uh, but uh, my belief from just going through the process of pitching and putting together the She-Hulk thing is that she's not part of the Universal arrangement. Like the Universal arrangement specifically, uh, the Hulk and Neymar and, and a couple of sub-characters from there, but she... Uh, was kind of rescued from that. Like, I know that Man-Thing, I think, is also universal, yeah. I believe. Yeah. But but then Man-Thing was also featured in Thor Ragnarok. Um, he was on uh, the, 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 the little construct that had Beta Ray Bill when it first right. zooms into the... So I, I'm not really sure what's going on with some of these characters. The, the universal stuff is really, really nebulous. Nobody is really sure about that. And I think that speaks to how difficult Universal had been seemingly prior to this. Uh, but obviously, with Amy Pascal taking over at Universal, she had a great relationship with Kevin Feige. Those two were the impetus uh, for, for the historical agreement between Marvel and Sony. And it seems likely, at least to my mind, that as long as she's over at Universal, it would seem like she's going to try and make some money off these characters that would otherwise just sit there and they'd collect the merchandising rights at Universal Studios, and that's about it. Yeah, I think that she she's always been. Uh, I don't want to, I don't like the term like Hollywood player, but that's probably the best way to describe her. Uh, so yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, and I I know that there's a couple of um, of Zen diagrams that are out there that show you who owns what character. 
Mm-hmm. And She-Hulk typically will show up on Universal Pictures, but I don't believe that's the case. Yeah, it's it's really nebulous. It's really <laughs> like I said. I think the only people who know what's what are Kevin Feige and 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 the head. Because like we like you even mentioned, like Joe Cazada spoke out on this, and he seems to be wrong. So if Joe doesn't know what's going on, right. that dude been at Marvel almost longer than anybody. Yeah, in no. fact, I think he is the longest tenured Marvel employee. Yeah, I think at this point he's he's one of the few holdovers, right? Like I know he took over as EIC um, with the success of Marvel Knights, uh, so he's been there since since that rolled out. Uh, but one thing I want to point out, like the lawyers certainly know. Like I could speak to, I could speak to this, like the lawyers absolutely know who owns what and, and how you can use them. Uh, but the problem is, is that they're lawyers, right? Like so they they're not about to go and call up. Uh, CBR.com or Newsarama and be like, yo, listen, this is this is who owns what and how you can use them. But I, I think that as things move forward, you're going to see, especially with Sony, like I think that it's just you have to do business with Disney. There's no choice anymore. So I, I, I don't worry about illegal entanglements the way that Spider-Man took like 25 years for there to be the first movie. You know, I, I'm not worried about that anymore as much as uh, back before we had that Spider-Man film. I also kind of look at it like this. Disney outbeast Fox, and Fox had way more characters to use than Sony currently has. Right. And Sony, for the for, for all intents and purposes, Sony has burned up some of these stories so frequently that fans are just... Plus, there's the whole, are fans going to buy back in? after this separation when they'd been given something else. And I I sort of think both parties know this. Like, I've never been worried about the whole Spider-Man thing. Personally, I think the MCU is better off because I think he's a crutch. I think that, honestly, another show that I would definitely want to talk about, Miss Marvel, I think she fulfills many of the same roles that you could get out of Spider-Man, except she speaks to a much larger audience then a little white kid going to a private school uh, uh, for science and technology in in, in Manhattan, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's, that's my position on Ms. Marvel as well, is that she is a great entry point, And in a lot of ways, she's the 21st century Spider-Man. So to me, when I when I saw the initial announcement about Spider-Man, which we can get into, we go into the movies. I I wasn't worried about it when we when I saw Ms. Marvel was going to grow and show because I was like, Okay, that's fine. Like that's you know, as you said, everything that you could do with Spider-Man as a, as a young kid, dealing with like this bonkers Marvel universe, you can do very easily with Ms. Marvel. And because she's not like a you know, stereotypical like white guy, uh, it does allow for a larger audience to come into this content. I think that we take for granted that you know, so many of the characters are guys. Like it's even though we're getting more female representation, you know, we had that one scene in Endgame that was a little controversial to some people, but I loved it, uh, where they showed you the number of girl superheroes. Now, there's still not a lot of them, uh, respectively. So having my, Ms. Marvel... Um, my favorite hankering on that was people called it uh, fan service, and I'm like, what the hell do you think Cat picking up Mjolnir was? Right, yeah. So, well, what do you call any of these movies, right? Like, what do you call a three-hour Avengers movie other than other than fan service? So, yeah, I agree. I, I definitely agree with that. So I think that... She serves as a key entry point. The other thing is I think that they kind of ended Spider-Man's story in the MCU. Like, when I – I didn't know we're skipping ahead a little bit, so I'll get back to Ms. Marvel in a second. 
But with Spider-Man at the end when they do the big reveal, I hope I'm not you know spoilers for people. No, we already did. We already okay. did spoilers. So. Okay, great. <laughs> Uh, so when they did the big reveal with uh, J. Jonah Jameson saying uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man, I was like, oh, okay, so you know this is going to lead into Venom versus Spider-Man. Spider-Man, uh, Venom's going to see this and go, oh, shit, that guy's dangerous, uh, so i got to go stop him. So, uh, you know, my attitude coming out of Far From Home was, okay, that that's how Sony's going to start to bring in these other characters is through revealing his identity. Uh, and the other thing is that there's really no reason for the MCU to be there because really, you know, Tony Stark is dead. They dealt with it in Far From Home. Uh, Happy, you can easily just say, oh, you know, he's I'm texting him or something. So there's really no reason for it to continue being in the MCU as far as I'm concerned. And so, yeah, I think Ms. Marvel definitely fills that role nicely. You know, one of the great things about Miss Marvel is that she is sort of this every woman. Like her best friend works at a convenience store. Yes. You know, she doesn't she doesn't deal with with New York heroes. She she lives in New Jersey. That's sort of her deal. And 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 she is for all intents and purposes, you know, your friendly neighborhood Miss Marvel. And and on top of that, I would argue that some of her relationships can be uh, exploited for so much gain, like her and Lockjaw or, or uh, you know, her, like I said, her and Bruno, her and her and any number of people. She's, she's fundamental to the champions, uh, which obviously um, is, is something that Miles Morales would be a part of, but it wouldn't be impossible to do without Miles. And and I feel like they're setting up like they've announced you know they've they've got a uh, a, a, a Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur that's going to appear on Disney Kids I think it is um, and and they are starting to introduce more of these like female superheroes into the genre and that's sort of what I've been telling people like the biggest argument that I get with Spider-Man is that, oh, well, the whole point of him is he was the next Iron Man. And my reply to that is, so he's the same character we've had for 10 years. Right, exactly. Yeah, it, it, that, it, that perception I don't quite understand. I think, if anything, the Far From Home kind of said, you know, he may, there's similarities for sure. He might be using Stark technology, but he's very much his own hero. Yeah, and and. and you know, like you said, the way that Far From Home left off, it set up Spider-Man to exist within his own continuity. He could continue on with the MCU or left it at a great place. And, and really, the whole Nick Fury thing doesn't need to mean anything because they can deal with that. Uh, you know, they can call it the Europe incident if they want. Exactly. And, and uh, as it turns out, Nick Fury wasn't Nick Fury. Yeah. Right. So, like, it's it's very easy to kind of kind of shrug that off and say it doesn't matter. And so that's that that's kind of like my you know I don't I don't like that interpretation that he's just another Iron Man. I think very much. And Kevin Feige kind of said this too, where he's like, you know, we told the story that we wanted to tell with Peter Parker, or, you know, with Spider Man, where uh, we dealt with him being in the shadow of Iron Man and becoming his own. So to me, I'm all about. A third Spider-Man villain. Uh, I'm sorry, a third Spider-Man movie written by Lord and Miller, or even the Far From Home team, as much of them as they can keep, uh, just dealing with Venom, are just starting to move towards some of the characters that we haven't seen 
uh, or haven't seen done well, I should say, in Venom's case, uh, where Marvel, we we haven't seen it before. You know, like we haven't seen the same permutation of Green Goblin and Spider-Man mm-hmm. and Mary Jane. Yeah, and I'm, I, I got to be honest, man. I, I, I don't know how much more of Peter, uh, Green Goblin, and Mary Jane I can take. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, no, true. Because you've seen it now, and you've seen two different versions of it within 10 years. And that's a lot. Like, that might st- sound like a lot, but that's, that's like, almost unprecedented within film. It's just, it's, it's at the point where you realize that some of these stories have, have, have been told so many times that you're not really missing out on, on everything. Um, but, but, but they are introducing a hell of a lot of shows that do work. We've got Falcon and the Winter Soldier right. uh, coming out. How excited are you for that one? I'm a little torn because I've read... The things I'm reading, I'm trying to piece it together in my head the way that, like, any of us do. You know, like, having U.S. agent and having Zemo in there, uh, and then them saying that the Falcon is not quite Captain America. Like, I'm fascinated by it. I really like the cast. That's probably the one I'm I'm the least excited about, though, uh, because I'm a little concerned that they're not going to do – they won't do anything. That's not to say I'm not going to like it when I see it, but I, I feel the MCU needs to do different. And we're kind of getting that with Ms. Marvel. We're kind of getting that with WandaVision. We're kind of getting that with the Eternals. Uh, but, you know, when they said Winter Soldier and Falcon, it's like, all right, you know, I love the, I love those characters. I love the casting. Um, but I don't think I'm going to get anything from this that that's, that I haven't seen in the, over 10 years that we've had these Marvel films. That's fair. I, 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 I think the one I'm probably the most excited for is either What If or Loki. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with Tom Hiddleston following the events of Endgame where he disappears. Uh, obviously, we're, we're getting a more mischievous Loki, uh, n- not the dude who, you know, went through trials and tribulations with Thor in the Dark World Endgame, uh, Infinity War, uh, so on and so forth. So um, I, I, I am excited to see what they do with Loki. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely hoping that this, uh, that, that, that Loki is, is, is something new, is something different. But what if, man, I, I, I understand why they're doing an animated version of it. I totally do because the cost of, of, of producing <laughs> full costumed episodes of what if and bringing some of these act- actors back would just, go through the roof like i you know i and, and and i know that all of it is wrapped up in the deals that that marvel signs with these people to ensure that they have this sort of continuity of voices and whatnot um but but i do like that they're going to explore um an animated what if because what if along with marvel knights are probably my favorite books growing up those are the ones that really let my imagination run wild um I, I was just gonna say I was playing the Punisher Nintendo game from LJN like yeah. right when it came out, man. So yeah, no, I, I remember those. Those are those are pretty good. I had the the Maximum Carnage uh, red. I don't know how this is how old I am. Like it was a special limited edition red cartridge. Oh yeah, uh, I that still have out. that. It's awesome, right? Like it was so. Yeah, I, I has anyone beaten that game? Um. 
I don't know. <laughs> I actually watched a video of um, it was a video somebody put together of the guy who who created it, uh, who did a lot of the level design, and he's like, "Look, guys." I do apologize that it was really tough at the time. I admit I was creating a game more for myself than I was for other people. At he's, one like, time. <laughs> he's like, but I promise you, if you use cloak and dagger, the game gets that much easier for you. And I'm like, okay, I can see that. I can yeah, see that. I yeah. never thought to use them. All right. That's funny. That's uh, yeah, I mean, those games are wonderful, and I think that the, the having an animated series is kind of a callback to that. Uh, I think that the reason why What If is animated is, is one, um, you know, look, even as big as Disney is, as big as Marvel is, they're still very aware of what their competition does. You know, they're very aware of DC Universe and whatever becomes a DC Universe, because uh, it's on last legs from the sounds of it with AT&T. Uh, they're very aware that the DC Universe has, like, this all-star cast for uh, Harley Quinn. And they've seen the buzz for Harley Quinn, and they, they've seen, you know, the, the previews of it. So, to me, like, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the initial discussion of what do we have that that's an answer to this? And what if it was kind of, like, the easy answer of, oh, well, we can do, like, an anthology series. Uh, but, I mean, that's a, you know, I, it's not as cheap as you would think, because you're still talking about, like, for The Simpsons, the average episode runs about $2 million, $3 million per episode. You know, they put out maybe, like, 19, 20 episodes a season. So you're talking about a budget that could be, like, a good mid-range film when all of a sudden done. So, I, But I do think that it's a callback to, you know, they want people that are, because I think we're around the same age. I'm 30, I just turned 36. I just turned 37 in August 15th. Oh, yeah. So there you go. So they want, they, you know, they want that like edge of the millennials or slash like late uh, Gen X, however you want to define us, that grew up with X-Men, the animated series, and Spider-Man, the animated series. And I think that's also part of the appeal to the Harley Quinn show and to What If. It's like, hey, you remember this when you were kids? It's back. <laughs> it's really cool. We spent money on it. Uh, I would have loved a What If film. I would not rule out at all. At some point, if what if became a movie, or we or we got like a uh, what if Marvel Zombies film of some kind that that was under that branding, uh, but I think that the reason why it's animated it plays more towards they know who they're trying to recruit to pay for the service. Yeah, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, you you're talking about Disney Plus and and <laughs> Disney is is kids man it's it's it's, it's geared towards kids that's that's what they do that's what their passion is i mean imagination and 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 great ideas are are certainly are what they do but they've they've made no bones about it that they you know their target audience is kids and families and it's it's exciting to me to see all of these uh, uh shows that they've pitched out there these ideas that are coming out because these are characters that I think a lot of us never thought we'd ever see. Like I, yeah. I'm telling you, man. Like if you would have told me in the mid '90s that I would be getting movies like not not just uh, you know four Avengers films that that tell a story that is probably one of the most iconic Marvel stories of all time, right. but then you have the, the various 23 interconnected films that come with it, Black Panther. Now we're getting Moon Knight, we're getting She-Hulk, we're getting Miss Marvel, we're getting a lot of these characters created. I couldn't, I couldn't have imagined it. There was, there just wasn't the market for it back then. Right. You know, people forget that if you. So Sean Howe wrote a great book about the history of Marvel, 
And I think that people forget that for most of Marvel's existence, after uh, Goodman passed away, they did not have any sort of stability. Like, it was constantly Marvel was being bought by one company and sold to another company. At one point, DC Comics was in charge of the distribution of Marvel Comics, which, as you imagine, was not a good situation for them. And then you had Stanley running around trying to save the company by making all these different movie deals, which is why the rights issues are as screwed up as they are. Uh, you know, it's only now that Disney bought Marvel that, that you have stability that these things are even possible. So as evil as Disney is, you know, for people that know the history of Marvel Comics, you're, you're a little thankful in the sense that you're like, okay, uh, they can actually make a She-Hulk TV show. You know, it's not, it's not, and then this is, again, how old we are. I remember reading Wizard Magazine, and almost every month there was a thing saying, no movement on the Spider-Man film, you know, they're still fighting about uh, who owns what and who gets paid, you know, who gets paid what and who gets the executive producer credit. Uh, and you just have this sense of this film will never get made. But now that you've got, you know, the, the Disney Death Star, for lack of a better description, uh, you could see a Power Pack movie. <laughs> it's very, uh, there was talk at some point of Squirrel Girl um, getting her own TV show. I don't quite know what happened to that or the new warriors thing that they've been talking about for a while. But. Apparently the new warriors test footage has gone over surprisingly well. Okay. That's good to see. Like, that's the thing is that the fact that that even exists, uh, especially the people growing up. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, excuse me, like, that I was new it. mutants, new mutants. Excuse me. I misspoke. Not oh, new yeah. warriors. You talk about the, yeah, the new mutants film that we'll never see. Uh, <laughs> apparently the test, the test footage of it has been surprisingly can I, good. Can I tell so you? It so it could be dropped. Yeah, my, so that my theory is that once they have, once they've jumped through the, any regulatory hurdles with Hulu, that's where we're going to see it. I, I think that the reason why they're, they're not in any rush. Like I think the thing we have to realize when you see Disney fighting with Sony is that Disney is not in any rush. You know, they know they've got your money, and so their attitude is, all right, when we have full control of Hulu, and we we need some kind of big marketing push. Oh, hey, remember that cool new Mutants film? This is the exclusive home for it. Uh, so that's sort of my theory. But again, like just the fact that you're talking about a new mutant film that exists and was made and has Arya Stark in it, like as like one of your uh, lead characters, is, is definitely mind-blowing for people that grew up thinking, oh, shit, Marvel's going to go out of business. They declared bankruptcy, and then Toy Biz is going to buy them, and it's just going to be all about the toys. And uh, it, It's just it, it's definitely wild. And, and the crazy thing about it is, too, like you can give Stan Lee credit for a lot of things. But there's one thing that Stanley was never good at, and that was television and film. He, actually, I take that back. They had success with television shows, but bit, but, yeah. but but with the X-Men, the animated series, it wasn't to do with Stan. It was to do with Eric and Julia Leewald, yes. who, who, you know, put forth all of the effort into that show. Uh, along with, um, I'm forgetting that Margaret somebody who was uh, the president at Fox at the time, uh, I believe. Um, and, and then you obviously had the Spider-Man animated series, which is sort of Avi Arad's baby. But, but you know, for, for all intents and purposes, if you look at the shows that Stanley introduced, you know, that sort of superhero action hour, like the Iron Man show, crap. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, those were, those. Were, I mean, like, you know, I'm thankful that for Spider-Man, his amazing friends, which Stanley did a narration for, you know, like, that was my first, ent- a lot of people in our generation, their first entry point wasn't necessarily the comics, it was the cartoons. 
Yeah, it was it was these shows and other media. The thing that I, I would say in Stan's defense, though, uh, is that yeah, again, like the future of Marvel was constantly on the line, and so I think his his kind of uh, his mission was save the company instead of trying to make that the best possible deal. Uh, and so that's that's sort of why you've got like these these weird entanglements that that we do today. It's that. You know, if, you know, I think I know people today have been like, all right, well, these rights deals are screwed up, and they, they absolutely are. I don't, I'm not excusing them completely, but uh, I, I think it is worth pointing out that you know, the, the reason why it's screwed up in the first place is because they were just looking for money. Like they were just looking to keep this thing going as long as they could. Now, people don't really realize that in in all of the craze, you know, in the '90s, where you had the X-Men, the animated series, and the Spider-Man TV show, that Marvel was going bankrupt at this time. Like this is in the backdrop of Marvel going bankrupt. So you have all these hit shows doing really well, and people are coming in and buying the toys. But nobody was buying them. Well, people were buying the comics; they just weren't that good at that time. There's like this period from like. 89-ish to, like, I don't know, like, 96. Like, 96, once we sort of hit that, uh, I would call, the, the, the best way that I know how to describe it is the Attitude Era. That's, that's to, to me, that's sort of the lens through which I viewed that late 90s because a lot of it was spurned on by sort of, like, you know, Vince McMahon with wrestling, the anti-heroes became cool. And that's when they started pushing Marvel Knights. That's when you had Marvel Knights starting to come out and you get some more of these backstories and backdrop uh, of, for, for some of the more popular stories that we know they're, they're, they're taking place during this time. But, but prior to that, Marvel, I think they were just churning out books just to keep them out there. Like they were just trying to stay afloat, pitching any idea that they possibly could and then seeing what stuck to the wall. I think that, you know, it's easy to, so uh, let me back up. At the very beginning of the 90s, there was that big boom, right? Like X-Men number one, to this day, hmm. might still be the, the best-selling comic of all time. Uh, and it's kind of hard to tell because the way we track sales for comic books is awful. Uh, it's just, yeah, it truly is. Yeah, it's the most backwards thing I've ever seen. So it's hard to say whether or not it's still... I, I think that they were saying the Star Wars comic when it came out from Marvel was was then the best song. Uh, but there was definitely like a, this little boom time that then was ruined by a collector's market, and that thing almost took Marvel down with it. And, you know, I think it's like... What, I think what, the I, Exodus, too, the, the Exodus uh, of, uh, for yeah. Image Comics damn near killed them, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that people forget how big... I mean, Image is huge today. Most of the books I buy wind up being in Image Comics today. But, yeah, I, I think that people forget how big Spawn was. You know, it's easy to kind of sleep on Spawn today, but uh, there was millions of people <laughs> buying, uh, or if not millions, like a few hundred thousand people buying each issue of Spawn each week. Uh, you're lucky today if the top-selling comic reaches like 250,000, uh, 300,000. So I mean, just to give you an idea of like where the market is now uh, versus where it was. And we, we kind of forget those things. So, uh, yeah, I think that the history and the context is very important when we when we talk about these discussions of, like, who owns what and what show we're getting. And then, you're right, the quality did absolutely drop. You know, I stopped reading uh, around the time of the Clone Saga. Uh, you know, I, I, I left Spider-Man and didn't pick it up for at least, like, 15 years. Uh, it wasn't even really... Guilty so- pleasure. I like that. Yeah, I know I know some people do like it. That's that's all right. There's, you know, um, It wasn't good. I just liked it. 
Yeah, you know what it was for me is uh, even today, like even going into 2020, I have a very strict comics budget. You know, I won't spend more than $40 a month on comic books. And <laughs> yeah, which is hard, right? So, which, you know, I'm having that struggle right now with House of X and Powers of X, uh, Powers of Ten, where it's like, shit, that's my, that's my entire comics budget uh, for the month, and this thing isn't even done yet. So, uh, back, even back then, you know, it was like, all right, well, in order to follow Maximum Carnage, I've got to pick up all 30, like, tie-ins just to understand the entire story. And in the Clone Saga, it was kind of like that. And I just got to the point uh, where I was burned out. And a lot of people felt the same way. You know, like, a lot of people left reading comics in the late 90s uh, because of how convoluted everything was. And they get the, there, there is a huge problem right now. Like, Marvel... Marvel ran into an issue in at about 2015 when they did the Secret Wars 2, and then they never reset anything. Right, yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they collapsed the entire multiverse, crushed everything in what was supposed to be a hard reboot for Marvel, and then they literally picked up where they left off. And, and, and you know, they've... I, I, they've, they've had several major events come out since then, uh, um, obviously, Infinity. Um, they had um, uh, War of the Realms, which was, I think, really damn good and probably yeah. one of their best events in a since Secret Empire. And I know Secret Empire was really controversial for a lot of people, but I always looked at it just like I looked at Hogan becoming Hollywood Hogan in the 90s. Like, Cap had done everything up until that point but that. Right, and you know, so in defense of Nick Spencer, um, which is uh, he, he, it's hard to talk about him without because people then want to talk about his politics, which I have zero interest in. Um, I have happen to like Superior Foes of Spider Man. Uh, I thought that was a great series, and that's what got me hooked on his writing. So with Secret Empire, I think I was more, I was already sold because I knew that he was a good writer, and I, I, I think it was a little unfair that people jumped on it the way that they did, especially because it's a lot of people that don't read comics that were quick to be like, Captain America's a Nazi. But if you read comics, you you know that Captain America is not a Nazi. Like, you know that there's some, there's going to be some trickery involved. In this case, there was. Like, it, it wasn't Cap at all. It was like a weird Cosmic Cube it version was, of It Cap. was comic. It was, it was comic. Right. At, 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 I can't even remember what it was called, but it was... It was almost similar to the Jaliah, but it was like this plane, and Bucky had to go and yeah. rescue him, and it was just, it was weird. Yeah. But it was good. It's, it's, it's strange, but it, and yeah, I agree. I think I think it was good. I think, you know, the, the part of the problem that the, the comics industry faces, and I'm talking comics specifically, not comics, TV, comics, film, the, the comics industry faces is that you've got a lot of people that cover the movies and TV show that don't read the books. And so when they see something that affects a movie or a TV character uh, adversely, you know, they're all over it without necessarily going and saying, uh, oh, wait a minute, you know, like this is stereotypical, like comics, storytelling. So, yeah, you know, the thing, I, I have to be careful here, but I don't, the thing you'll find on Twitter is that, you know, people that that work for these companies are very careful like, with what they say because, uh, you know, they don't want to piss off the, the wrong editor or something. I, you know, I give Marvel a lot of credit for for innovation, since um, Secret Wars 2, I, I think that they, whether or not the stories have landed, I, I do give them a lot of credit for at least saying, you know what, instead of doing what uh, DC is doing where it's just a flat, uh, it's a, yet another reboot, 
we're at least going to try something different. And if it sticks, great. And if it doesn't, then we're, we're going to try something else. And, and that's given us some great books uh, like Patsy Walker Hellcat, yeah. which, which I really liked and a lot of people slept on, but I thought I thought it was brilliantly written. Um, it, that has given us books that I didn't like. I, I didn't like the, the She-Hulk reboot. I think that Dan Slott, for my money, has the best possible She-Hulk run. So I, know, the, I didn't fully understand the whole deal with her neighbor and that weird thing yeah. that she could summon. It, I, it got off to a weird start for me, and I don't think it ever recovered from that. I didn't yeah. hate it, but I, but I wasn't overwhelmed by it. But I think, I, you know, the, the thing that I think that I'm trying to get to is that, you know, they're they're trying, you know, like the, the thing that I think that Marvel does not get credit for on the comics front is that they're willing to try these things, and I, I think it's to our benefit because, you know, we're, we started out the show talking about the TVs and, and the film, and because they're willing to try things on the comic front, that's how we get to where we get with the TV and film, and as we've seen with the boys, uh, even if the comic itself isn't great, you can still get some damn fine television out of it. Like, The Boys is not... There's some really good stuff in it, uh, but it, but it has not aged well. I think anyone, even the biggest Garth Ennis fan, well, even Garth Ennis will probably tell you that, you know, if he had to do it differently, if he had to write The Boys today, it would not uh, necessarily sound or look the way that it does uh, from its initial run. So even if, if Marvel puts out a book that you don't like, the odds are pretty good that you're going to get a streamlined, awesome version of it in film like Civil War. Yeah, you know, I I really, the, the stuff, you know the crap that pissed me off the most about the Punisher TV show? is, is I, I, I liked it, but I felt that they left so much on the table by literally not touching anything that uh, uh, Ennis and Dylan did in that yeah. Punisher mess. Like, they just left it. I'm like, no Barracuda, uh, uh, you know, no no Russians, no nothing, man. They're just like, we're going to do Jigsaw, and then we're going to invent a dude that's sort of based off the Mennonite, but not quite. Yeah, and, you know, I was a little disappointed because the first season directly teases the Nucci family. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought for sure, okay, if this thing gets a second season, there's no guarantees, then that's going to be a welcome back. Frank will, will be the second season. But, yeah, I think that it's true, too, that Marvel's um, – because it's hard to talk about, like, Marvel's TV arm versus Marvel's cinematic arm. And we're talking about Ike Perlmutter versus... <laughs> right. Like we're talking about Ike and Jeff Lowe versus um, Kevin, uh, Kevin Feige and, and the, the Brain Trust over there. Um, sometimes they make choices that I don't necessarily agree with, and I think that that was certainly one of them. I think that Agents of, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as much as I love the cast, definitely is one of those things where, um, man, I wish they had done it differently. The and first season was so good. Yeah, the first season was great, and but it makes me, you know, tying it back to the TV shows that we talked about, like it makes me excited for the TV shows on Disney Plus because Kevin Feige is involved with them. Uh, so we might not get some of this really great content mixed in with stuff that that's kind of wonky. So with with some of the time that we have left, let's not leave the movies out of this. Yeah. We got. We got what what we really got was a full rundown on the Eternals. We now yeah. know Kit Harrington is playing the role of quote Karen, 
who is really Dane Whitman, and Disney wanted to hide it under the casting auditions as Karen. He will be playing the Black Knight. He will be the male lead uh, with Gemma Chan, who is uh, the first uh, Marvel character, I think, to, to be rebooted in the MCU. Um, I could be wrong about that. I actually think there might be one other person who was recycled and reused before you she mean, was. In terms of the actor? Yes. So, um, Herschel Ali. Yes, that's right. Uh, and then also, uh, Alfred Woodward plays, uh, she's in Civil War for a few minutes as a different character. Right. See, I knew there were like one or two others, but she's going to be the first sort of major uh, character reboot yeah. uh, for Marvel. And I am excited that they gave Gemma Chan a role outside of uh, Minerva because obviously that was, uh, well, that was final. Minerva got blown yeah. out of the sky. I'm still salty about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I really, really, really liked the Captain Marvel movie. I did too. I, 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 I had some questions about how they were going to do the whole Yon Rog thing because I wasn't necessarily feeling Yon Rog, but after seeing the way that Anna Bodden and Ryan Fleck sort of took that and twisted it on its head by not having a big battle at the end, it was sort of anything but that with her and Yon Rog. Right. That actually, it was really Carol realizing, I don't need to fight you. I already know I can kick your ass. Like, here, yeah. let, me, <laughs> let me blast you into this rock and we'll see how you do. I thought the film was great. Uh, I, I absolutely loved it. I was just bummed at Minerva getting blown up because I was like, oh, well, crap, there goes one of her main villains. <laughs> like, what are you doing for the sequel then? Yeah, and, and, and it certainly seems like they, they, it's been, they did the same thing with Ronin and Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure, yeah. And then I got the other thing about Captain Marvel that pissed me off is they brought Lee Pace back for what? For what? What the? I would be so freaking upset if I were Lee Pace, and I, he's graceful as as anyone can be. So of course, you know, he's happy to keep reprising this role, and obviously, right. there's potentially a future for him yes. because we've seen that the the Infinity Stones are not final. Although he got hit with the Power Stone, but I, uh, I think I think the reason he's he will be back. I, I absolutely think we're you're going to see more Ronan. So I wasn't. I wasn't too upset about it because I figured going in, okay, this is just adding some shading to the character to show you uh, how he got to where he where he was in Guardians. But given that he's the Kree's version of Thor, uh, you know, you will. I, I have no doubt you will see him again. I sincerely hope that we do because he and Clerk. I have no idea if that's how you pronounce that. I just. <laughs> <laughs> He and Clerk are just needed. They're they're absolutely just needed in the MCU. Um, but going back to the Eternals, uh, how do you, let me ask you. Like, so I've seen a lot of comparisons to Guardians of the Galaxy in the sense that people aren't terribly familiar uh, with the Eternals, the same way they didn't know what Guardians was. But I'm a little concerned about that because if you you know. If you read the Abnet Landing run for Guardians, it was fantastic. Like it was, it was it's my is it one of my favorite comic book runs. I love the Annihilation event. I love I love the Guardians book that they put out. So when I saw that they were doing the Abnet Landing version, I was like, oh, okay, this could be, this could be good. But I don't have that with the Eternals. Like I I don't 
I know people point to the Neil Gaiman run. Yeah, I, I don't know that that – yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't look at that Neil Gaiman run as being anything notable other than – like, it wasn't bad, but when you look at Neil Gaiman's best works, like, I wouldn't even put that in the top 50 of crap that Neil Gaiman's written. Like, yeah, they were – No, I don't think he would either. Like, I don't – <laughs> I've even read the Jack Kirby. Here's what people need to understand about the Eternals. They are basically the new gods. Jack Kirby started the pro. He left Marvel. Everybody knows this. He left Marvel because he didn't like how he was being treated. He goes over to DC, finds out that the grass is not always greener on the other side because he gets treated even worse over at DC. But he had started this project called the New Gods, which is where you get uh, Dark Side. Um, and, and, uh, and, and several of the others, uh, Apocalypse, uh, uh, and, uh, what was it? Granny, Granny Goodness, oh, I yeah, think. Yeah, Granny Goodness and the Furies. And, yeah, it was not, I mean, I'm not, I, I, obviously Jack Kirby's a legend, but man, do I, I am not big on the new gods. Like, no, and I, and I mean, you know, I tried to get into the, the eternal, Knowing, uh, you know, through the grapevine that this is going to come out, I started reading this stuff about a year and a half ago, you know, just prepping myself for, for inevitably having these podcasts and these sorts of questions where people are going to be like, well, what do you know about the Eternals? And I got to say, man, even after I did the reading, I still don't know much. Like, there's, there are some stories there, but, but, but after you get past the sort of druids, stuff um there's not much there's not much it's sort of a rehashing of the same story the eternals have they're so damn powerful they have to stop each other and that's really what it comes down to and and i listen the the cast of the film has me completely uh uh, bought in i like i i i i I, I have no qualms about the cast i think it's uh, I even like the way they're including the Black Knight in there with 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 Kit Harrington and Gemma Chan, like I said. But I'm still not sure what it's going to be. <laughs> and yeah, how... my, my suspicion is that it's it's not going to have anything to do with the comic beyond like the most superficial things possible. Uh, I think that they're going to focus exclusively on the Celestials as a villain and. Uh, sort of ties back into Guardians a bit to tie the two together, and that's I, don't, I have very low expectations for that movie. Like out of all of the ones that they've announced, it is the one that I if you had, if you had to put a gun to my head and say name one Marvel film that you think is going to bomb, uh, The Eternals would be it. Like, like that's the one that I'd be like, uh, uh, man, it's a great cast, uh, but I am not sure about this. Uh, the other ones I, I can't wait. Like you know, I'm very excited about Black Widow. I'm very excited about Shang Chi and Doctor Strange Two and Black Panther Two and Blade. You know, I love the original Blade uh, and Thor: Love and Thunder. You know, being able to to do the Jane Austen Jane Austen of Thor and, and have you know that whole Aaron run to pull from is fantastic. Like these these are going to be really good films. But the Eternals is sort of like that one where I'm kind of like I. Uh, man, unless they've got something absolutely killer, um, I don't think it's going to be any good. I I have questions about it. I'm not sure it's going to be the, the, the smash. But if anyone can pull this off, it's going to be Marvel. Yeah, and, if, and, and, if, and if they do what you said and sort of only 
tangentially touch on what the comics did but create their own story, then then I think it could be a success. Yeah, um, and I think that that's, that to me, like, if, if it was me putting on my writer hat and I had this property that no one knows what the F uh, it is. Even people that write comics for, for years, you know, I know there's a few people who get mad when, when I say this, but uh, most people have never read the Eternals. Like, let's, no, be, let's be fair here. So, and anyone that says that they did is probably lying. You know, so it's not to say that there aren't people out there, but I think the majority of people saying that they, they've read Eternals, that they were fans of the Eternals, uh, is probably lying. So, uh, to me, I think you're going to start to see characters that, characters like that, that have not really been utilized and completely reinvented. And I think the example you can look to is Shazam. Uh, I think that, you know, over at DC, Shazam is one of those characters that he dates back to 1941, but can you, can you really name a, like, uh, a definitive run on that character? Nope. Yeah, exactly. Like, they've completely underutilized him. Some of that was deliberate, uh, because they bought him just so they wouldn't have the competition, but they took a, a, a property that's been around forever, it still cracks me up that DC was able to win a lawsuit on Shazam, and that was like the last time in comic book history that anybody was able to win a lawsuit on a character being too similar. After yeah, that, the right. people creating them were like, F this. I'm right. ripping that dude off. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, and that's, I mean, that's sort of the reason why Shazam exists the way that he did. But, yeah, it's, I mean, like, it's in comics, everybody steals from everyone else. There's a lot of stuff from... House of X and Powers of Ten, which, like, I think pulls very much from New X-Men and also kind of pulls from, I can't remember the name of the miniseries, but there was a Legion miniseries, which was also heavy in sci-fi and also had, like, the data pages and kind of feels like it's pulling from that. So everything kind of pulls from everything else in comics. But, yeah, it it all goes back to to Shazam, and I think that he's going, that film is going to be the model for the Eternals and for the Black Knight. I I really think we're going to get, like, this parade of characters that you would never guess would ever have its own movie uh, and just watch them be completely reinvented. And people who say they read The Black Knight are lying, too. Like, they they read The Black Knight, Dane Whitman, in other adventures. Yes. But outside of, like, that five, which is now considered a limited run, it was really just a failed launch attempt at, 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 at getting The Black Knight off the ground. Yeah. Um, outside of that five-issue run, like, nobody read The Black Knight. Like, maybe, maybe people read the Sir Percy of Scandia crap, like, way back in the day, but it doesn't make for very compelling reading if you sit down and try and read it now. Like, it just, that's the thing with going back and reading older, older, older comics, is that you're very much, you're very much a prisoner of their moment. Because that's that's what it was. Comics comics have always been a sort of social expression, political expression, uh, um, and, and it always cracks me up that people crack down on comic characters being quote social justice warriors. And I'm like, what the hell do you think Stan Lee did every week in his yeah. soapbox? Like, what are you? What are, these guys went and fought Nazis in World War Two, and you're complaining that they they wrote social justice warrior characters like yeah. that's the definition of a social justice exactly. warrior. Exactly. You know, like my response every time every time I see that that garbage, and you know, I'm one of those people who think that comics gay is a hate group, and uh, anytime I see that someone go, oh, they're being social justice warriors, I point out that the first issue of Captain America, before we even entered World War Two, during a time in American history where we were isolationists 
has Captain America punching Hitler in the face. So, like, every time it comes up, I just go, man, just look at that first issue of Captain America and then and then tell me about, uh, you know, what, is, what this really comes out is people don't like the diversity. Like they, yeah, they don't, that's exactly they, what it comes down to. They don't like that there's more women characters. They don't like that there's more people of color. And I, I think that they feel threatened by it. Uh, and that's and so by saying it's a social justice thing, that, that that's their way of sort of dismissing it. And that's unfortunate. But the good news is, I think, going into Marvel Phase 4, I, I think very clearly they've said we're leading into our strength both, both as a culture and both as uh, an art form in comics and really playing up all the diverse voices and characters that we have. And I, that's why I'm convinced as we go into Phase 4 or Phase 5 and whatever comes next, I, I know they've talked about splitting it so that like there's space-based films and then there's going to be like Earth-based films, which is probably a good idea at this point. Uh, I, I think that you're going to see a lot of these characters that you would never have thought would, would get a film or get a TV show. Like uh, Ms. Marvel, the thing that's amazing about that is, you know, if you look over at Legends of Tomorrow at DC, uh, we do have ISIS, you know, like ISIS is on that show as a as a woman and as a person of color and as, as someone who is uh, religiously a Muslim. She is on that show, and that, that to me is incredible, but um, having Ms. Marvel front her own show is even better. You know, like that to me is something that, that anytime that you can draw in new people to comics, I'm all about. So uh, I'm really happy that they're leading into, into this for the new films. And G. Willow Wilson is just like that her entire run. And I know that Saladin Ahmed has taken over Miss yeah. Marvel and he's picked up exactly where she's left off in terms of content and compelling stories. Um, you know, G. Willow Wilson just did a, such a great job. Like I, I will be the first to admit that, that Miss Marvel really helped me wrap a, wrap my head around some of the more everyday Muslim concepts yeah. uh, and precepts for that matter. And and it helped me understand the culture. It helped me understand uh, Islam. It, it, it just, it helped me understand. And I don't understand why people hate that. I don't, I, I don't get it. Why would you hate understanding something? Yeah. And you know, if you look at the history of comics, it was, there's a lot of people that were Jewish that were writing it, and it was sort of their way of yeah. also showing people what Judaism in America looked like, you know. And so, uh, and to <laughs> me, men. Exa- exactly right. So, to me, the fact that that exists, the fact that Ms. Marvel was able to come out and, and even be an educational tool for people, makes it so valuable and makes it so great, uh, and makes it something that like we should all be cheering for. Like we should all be very excited that this thing exists. Like if, out of all the properties we've talked about. You know Black Widow, The Eternal, Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange, Thor. They're all going to have the marketing machine behind it. Like, if well, you had we thing- know why they, why they decided to chat Pat Shang-Chi. Like, let's be clear. Like, it was both, it was both expanding diversity and that incredible Chinese market. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly true, right? Like, you, you, we, can't, we can't ignore that China is a very large film market, right? Like, that, when you look at... Uh, overseas domestic box offices. They're, you know, the, tra- the reason why we have so many stupid Transformers films, uh, with the exception of the last one, is that they all have done really well in China. So yeah, that's certainly true. That that's part of the reason Shang Chi exists. But I would also say that it's an opportunity to be able to say, hey, look, you know, we we had the Ten Rings introduced way back in the first Iron Man film. Yeah. 
And we did nothing with it, but we, you know, it's there. Don't so. don't get me started on Iron Man three. We're, we we won't we won't get off the air anytime tonight. Like um, I, yeah, we can <laughs> we can definitely touch on it another time. But I, you know, the thing I want to the one thing I want to stress about Shang Chi existing is that it allows you to deal with stuff that was not presented well in the comics. So like yeah. just, you know, the as cool as the Mandarin like when I'm growing up reading Iron Man comics, as cool as the Mandarin was. It was very uh, racist. Yes, it's very racist, and you couldn't present it in the way that it does. But Shang-Chi kind of gives you this way to go back to some of the great uh, Iron Man characters uh, and, and present them in a way that not, not only is accessible, but as a business from Disney is profitable. Yeah, I, I'm very excited about Shang-Chi. Like, if you had, if I had to, Shang-Chi is going to serve a couple roles for Marvel. Okay, look, first of all, he taps into that overseas market, which we mentioned, but he very much replaces a Captain America character as someone who was a tactical leader yes. and a trainer. Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi is one of those dudes. My favorite thing about reading Shang-Chi comics is when a person with powers is like, dude, uh, just back up. And, and then all of a sudden they find themselves on their ass and it's usually followed by, whoa. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, that's Shang-Chi, dude. <laughs> like, that's Shang-Chi. And, I, and I'm really excited, too, that you also now have Jimmy Woo coming back. Yes. Which means you could possibly get Agents of Atlas down the line. Which, I would love that. Which, which would just be so great. It would just be so great. That, um, that's one of, you know, we talked about, like, great comic runs. Uh, Agents of Atlas was fantastic. So, <laughs> and I'm glad that. they've rebooted it, too, for, for, for yes. the little six-issue mini-run that, that they have. I, I'm, I'm very excited for it. I read the, uh, I read the first issue, and, and I'm in. I'm in. They got me. I knew they would. <laughs> I mean, I, I, loved the, I loved the Agents of Atlas story coming out of War of the Realms. Like, I cannot stress, and if you haven't read War of the Realms, it's probably one of the more convoluted events in terms of how many tie-ins it has, but yeah, it's, it's also it's, one of those rare events that was just, it, everything worked. Yes, I agree. I, I, it's one of ones in recent memory that I would recommend to people. I, you know, it is certainly busy. Uh, we're, we're trying to catch up with everything, but that's also sort of the nature these days of any of any crossover, right? Like, you, you know, they want to make sure that it touches all the different aspects of the universe, and uh, that can lead to <laughs> some confusion if you're just walking into it cold. Yeah. So, with the little time we got left, a couple minutes here, I just want to touch briefly. We know that Doctor Strange too. Uh, we've talked a little bit about it. It may feature Namor. That seems to be the likeliest route, but we do know that whatever happens in WandaVision is going to tie directly into Doctor Strange 2, which could possibly see Strange trying to help Wanda control. Um, you, you know, they talk about madness in that, and, and, right. and that ties directly into House of M when she sort of spiraled out of control. Doctor Strange had to help her, Agatha Harkis, so on and so forth. So, so that could happen. And um, crap, what was the other movie that that we mentioned? Um, That's coming up. Uh, there's Thor, Shang Chi, Doctor Strange, Eternal Thor. Black Widow. Thor. Thor was the one I wanted to talk about real sure. briefly too. Um, I'm excited. We already know that it's going to feature uh, Tessa, Tom, uh, Tessa Thompson's character Valkyrie trying to find a queen. That's been yes. mentioned. Yes. And it's uh, going to feature Thor presumably doing a ton of ass kicking. Um, which is going to be weird because 
James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy 3, or as Guardians of the Galaxy, if you will, uh, is not going to, doesn't seem like it's going to come out before, uh, <laughs> before that. So I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm not really sure if they're going to pick up with uh, the Guardians in four uh, very briefly before he continues on on his own story. So I, I, I am kind of excited to see how that's going to work out because where they left off with Endgame was in a very specific place, and that's where they're picking up. Um, so I am excited to see that. What about that film has you pumped? I think that Thor is not uh, sticking around with the Guardians long. <laughs> like, cause I, uh, they're not even filming Guardians until after Suicide Squad is done. So we're going to see Thor 11 Thunder first. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely see him, like, splitting off from them very quickly. But I, I just, I, you know, the, the whole Jason Aaron run is fantastic. So just seeing for any of that. on that. Yeah, just seeing any of that adapted to me is fantastic. And, and bringing back Natalie Portman, who left under bad circumstances. She was upset at Marvel for firing the director for Thor to the Dark World. Uh, and so she was kind of like, all right, I'm done with them and I'm not coming back. So seeing them fix that relationship is great because she, she's a great actor. And I feel that just having her play Thor and having our Thor, not our Thor, but you know, having Thor Odinson deal with that on screen is going to be uh, the source for a lot of comedy. Because uh, you know, the thing that makes Thor the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe version of Thor is his insecurity. That's what makes him appealing. Uh, and that, that leads to a lot of the comedy. It's like he's big and strong, but he's very uh, insecure. And so seeing someone up, wheel, someone wheeled me, I'm sorry, I can't talk today, Mjolnir, uh, I think just that reaction and him dealing with it will make for a very fun film. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that Jane Foster getting her hammer on, or getting her hands on that hammer could sort of tie into that whole storyline where you have Thor like waking up every morning and just looking at the damn hammer because he always have, I mean, that's sort of what War of the Realms resolved was, was it, it resolved the unworthy Thor where the, the whole reason he couldn't lift the hammer wasn't because he actually wasn't worthy. It was because he didn't think he was worthy. Really? I, 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 <laughs> What it came down to was that Nick Fury had whispered Gore was right, and there was really nothing that they could say that Nick Fury was going to say that was going to make – like, they drugged that out so long, like, what did Nick Fury say, that there was literally nothing they could have written that would have that succeeded, I, I don't think. It was just one of those things that maybe it would have been better if he never revealed what Nick Fury had said to him. Um, but, but, but at the end of the day, like Nick Fury makes him unworthy by saying Gore was right. Like, yeah, you, you guys, you, you have issues, like you need to deal with them. And, and, and seeing that play out on screen with Jane Foster is going to be amazing because Jason Aaron did such a great job with the mighty Thor. And here again, People who have never read those two runs featuring Jane Foster as Thor are, the, are are likely the ones barking the loudest about how this is just a fan service moment. Yeah. And it's like, in, in reality, Thor probably started off, outside of Captain America, I can't think of a film in phase one that, and people really didn't like Captain America at the time. There's a lot of revisionist history about the Captain America film because he yeah. becomes such an integral character. But there was a lot of people talking about it at the time, like, oh, it was too serious, like the period, like, he, you know, it just didn't work for me. And then they grew to love the character. 
Like, I, 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 yeah, uh, I did too. I actually am a fan of – the only thing I did not like about The Dark World was that they essentially wasted a perfectly good villain in Malekith. Actually, yeah. they wasted a perfectly good actor in Christopher Eccleston. Uh, more than they wasted yeah. a perfectly good villain because Christopher Eccleston, like, God, I know Gone in 60 Seconds is cheesy, but when it rains, it pours, will just always be stuck in my head. He just plays such a flippant villain. What I like um, is that he could be back, though. Like, it seems like they're getting to that that stage of the game where they're like, um, Hershelly was awesome, let's bring him back. Yeah. And and I and I think that that's what they need to do. They need to start looking at some of these actors who who they sort of they they didn't really do the villains justice in the first couple of phases. Yeah. It was very it was very one off. Like you you just defeated them. I mean, you could even argue that in Captain America, the Red Skull was a straight up wuss. I mean, he literally spent the entire film running. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, you know, people have written extensively about the villain problem uh, that existed through the first two phases of uh, the Marvel films. But, you know, the one thing I want to say about the first Avengers, I was, I, you know, I agree with you in that. I remember liking it and saying I liked it, and people giving me crap for it. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, what are you talking about it? It's a World War II movie, blah blah blah. But I, I tend to love those movies. So, you know, so to me, uh, I really enjoyed it, and so I'm happy that people have kind of gone back. And said, "Okay, it's not too bad." You know, like I, I'm kind of thankful for that because they could see what I saw when it initially had come out. And it's strange that Thor is the character getting a fourth film. Like, if you yeah, had right, betting, right. if you had betting odds on who would be getting a fourth film out of the original, uh, out of the whole Trinity, Thor would have been dead last in yeah, it would betting. Not be Thor. It would no. not. It would absolutely not be Thor. Like the first two movies, I enjoy. Um, but yeah, it would absolutely not have been him. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that that to me is a testament to. I, I like the It absolutely is. Uh, but I don't think that you get to this successful Jason Aaron run had Thor not received the interest that he did. Like I think that people forget Iron Man was always kind of a serious character until the first film came out, and then all of a sudden, you know, Iron Man was like, "Oh my God, this is this is the new flagship." And I think that Thor also. Uh, until we saw the cinematic version of Thor, people were kind of like, all right, you know, it's been around, you know, you had the Walt Simonson run and you had other people with lengthy runs on it, but I, I don't think that it would have received the support that it did if no. the Thor films. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I mean, the last film I want to touch on is the one that we know the most about, and that is Scarlett Johansson and The Black Widow. Coming out May 2020, it's going to yeah. be the first film released of the new bunch um, we know David K. Harbour is playing Red Guardian. Uh, we have uh, – who is playing Taskmaster again? Why am I drawing a blank on it? I want to say Lee something. Uh, okay, I'm, looking at, I'm looking up the cast right now. Hang on. Okay. Can't believe I don't know this off the top of my head. Have they said who's playing him? I've got Red Guardian. i got Black Widow, too. Uh, Taskmaster. Yeah, I think it is. Who plays Taskmaster? Okay, uh, maybe we don't know. I thought no, they I announced who was playing. Who's playing Taskmaster? Okay, July twenty-first. Let's see. Comicbook.com says it is Ot Fagbenry. Is that? 
Okay, I could see that. I'm looking at his I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. I wasn't I wasn't sure if they had announced it, but yeah, I could see I could see him doing that. Because, I, you know, I thought ahead. they announced it at at D two three, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah I don't they well they reported that he was cast in the film. Yeah, I I think that did. Yeah, we don't know who's playing him. And Marvel's always cagey, right? Like, you know, they always play close to us as, as who is what and what and what we're getting. So that, to me, you know, it also plays into the larger thing with the Black Widow film is I, I don't think people fully know what they're getting. You know, they've been kind of coy saying it's a prequel. I don't think it is. Uh, I think, it, you know, they've talked a lot about it being set um, after Civil War, which I think most of it will be. But I, I would not rule out, like, clone shenanigans of some kind, um, because of the red room and the nature of the way that operates, or there being a multi another dimensional version of Natasha uh running around at the end of the film in the current MCU. Like I, I think this is sort of a way of saying, uh, she's dead but she's back. And we know that Florence Pugh is gonna be playing Elena uh Belova, which is uh a, a central character, another version of the Black Widow um, and, and that we are going to see the White Widow in this film. Um, I'm really excited by the introduction of, 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 of honestly, first part of the Winter Guard. Um, yeah. I've always loved fascinating. Like, that to me was, I, you know, it's one of those things where I saw it and I was like, okay, that's, that's kind of, you know, because you, if you had said that there was a Black Widow movie, I would have said, you know, they really had done her wrong in the last two Avengers films, so if they just fixed that, I, I would be happy. Uh, but then they started saying, oh, you know, we got Red Guardian, and I was like, oh, okay. And then they got the Black Widow 2, who was also the super adaptoid uh, in in some versions of whichever series you might run. Sometimes she transforms into the super adaptoid. Uh, and then you've also got Taskmaster in the film. So, like, you know, this is one of those ones where my excitement level was not terribly high for it, but as they started to make more announcements, I was like, okay, I, I can't wait for this thing to come out. Taskmaster is probably one of my favorite characters in, in Marvel Comics that is sort of like a C-list villain. I've just always loved... I, he's just got such a badass look. Yeah, like, He I just think, really does. He, the, it's the look and it's the, the power set, I think, that makes him... The look like gets you in and, and gets you to go, okay, yeah, he looks kind of cool, but but then you realize, oh, wait, he can copy anyone that he's fighting, including, you know, Thor and Captain America, which makes him dangerous. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just excited to see him. I think in recent years we've started to see more of him in the books, which is good. But, yeah, he was always one of those characters that was always on the periphery that you're like, I want more of that character. I want more of that guy. I want him not to be a character that Spider-Man overcomes in, like, the first 15 right. yeah. minutes or something. Like, yeah. no, this guy causes problems for a lot of people. Like, he He's a dude, man. He is a dude in the comics. And, and you don't – I mean, you don't want to see that with any villain. Like, even the Rhino, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 2 was terrible. But, like, oh, one God. of the things that, that was really bad about was – with the rhino was kind of like this fine man throwaway thing as opposed to something that, you know, it's a, a, a character with a lot of depth. It's a guy stuck in a rhinoceros costume. You know, it's not as simple as him just being like a, a Russian criminal that's running around in a suit. Like, that's not interesting. So uh, the advantage to, you know, the MCU, as we all know, is that they actually take the time to, to develop these, even the villains. 
uh, especially after phase three. So I'm excited to see what we get with Taskmaster. Yeah, yeah, I am too. Like, I, like I said, he's probably one of my favorite villains, and I do love the fact that in the clip that they did show, uh, one of it features sort of Florence Pugh's character Yelena Belova mocking Scarlett Johansson for always doing quote the pose, and I, I just. I sort of love that Marvel's touching on that. They need to touch on that and the fact that she's, like, the women in those films seem to do the scissor thing a lot. Like, the, the, the yeah. I, <laughs> it's like the go-to move. It needs, it needs to stop. Like, it was fine in Iron Man 2 when you wanted to first introduce Black Widow and, and show how fast she was. But, yeah, like, the flying head scissors is, is probably the most overused thing uh, that I would really like to go away. And I think part of that's, uh, that they don't have people like Lexi Alexander, who who directed uh, Punisher Warzone, uh, and is a real life martial artist. You know, they don't have a lot of like women on the production side to kind of stop and say, you know, that's that's not what a, a female superhero would do. And I think that that's one of the things I hope they correct with a Black Widow film. I I know that that Punisher Warzone was a throwaway for a lot of people. But my God, I could watch that movie over and over again. Ray yeah, Stevenson yeah. absolutely killed it. And Lexi Alexander stuck to the material. Yes. I think that, you know, there's a lot of problems with the way the film was released and the way it was treated, uh, and people forget that it exists. But it, it's just a fun Garth. If you like the Garth Ennis comics, there's no way you hate that film. The, the only negative thing I would say about it is that the. Um, the mannerisms from 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 Jigsaw, where he talked like this throughout the whole yeah, movie, yeah. it was a little it was a little on brand. <laughs> but outside of that, man, like dude, somebody this guy flipping across the thing, and 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 Frank just blows him up with a rocket launcher. Right. You've got. I mean, <laughs> how do you not? How do you not like? If you like the Garth Ennis Punisher, how do you not like that? It's like Clive Owen shoot him up. Yeah, I won't hear a bad word about that film. I'm sorry, I won't. I... It's much, it's much better than people give it credit for. But I, you know, like having Lexi direct, direct. I don't know. I, you know, I know she, she said a couple of times that like, you know, she's on, she's not on the best terms of like the Marvel people, uh, which is too bad. But the reason why you keep getting the flying head scissors is because you don't have people like Lexi behind the scenes saying, "No, that's bullshit. Stop doing that." Yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of a go-to move. Hopefully they start, as they bring in more women characters and bring in more female directors, you're going to start getting people deviating from these stereotypes that you yeah. see with, with the women characters. And I don't think, I, I think I don't, we haven't seen one woman do a flying head scissors, I don't think. Uh, and that's sort of a testament to Patty Jenkins, you know, having the reins of that film. Yeah. Yep. And, and you know, <laughs> For all the crap that people give that saying it was sort of a knockoff of Captain America, which there are similarities, that film still, I think, existed in its own world. And, and I, I, I can't wait for more adventures with Diana. I, it's, I loved Wonder Woman. I loved Shazam. And, and those are, are sort of two DC films that, that, that sort of give you hope. Like, at this point, like, there's no competition. Like, right. Marvel... Mar Harmfully leaving DC in the dust, and now that Kevin Feige is going to be involved in TV shows, that gap's only going to grow because the one thing DC did have 
over Marvel with an extensive television universe that their fans could sink their teeth into with quality programming. And and now that Disney Plus has entered the game, it's just going to get that much harder for the WB and CW um, to compete with the budgets of those shows. Yeah, I think the the problem that DC has at Marvel, though, you know, Marvel has a Kevin Feige. You know, there's someone at the helm who is who is not an MBA, and, and I, you know, and I used to say MBA derisively, like it's not someone that's like just looking at the numbers and making decisions based on that. Like there's, there's an actual person who loves these characters, whereas uh, DC is owned by AT&T, and AT&T, like even when they first purchased Warner uh, Warner Media. The, one of the first things they said to them, the AT&T people, to the Time Warner people was, oh yeah, you guys are just a rounding error to us. Like, we don't, we don't care. Uh, basically. And then, and then they were like, alright, HBO, we need you to produce more content because that'll, that'll fat in the bottom line. Uh, as opposed to HBO being like this prestige format kind of thing. So that's, you know, that's the key difference. And for that reason, DC won't catch up. And I think that that's, to Marvel's benefit. Yeah, well, and the other thing, too, is that DC, Mar- Disney now owns, like, the vast majority of their content, yeah. and they've they've got a place for it. Like, if you compare DC Universe Online compared to, like, Marvel Unlimited, like, DC's a, a, a selection of online comics that you can read through their service is paltry and abysmal. I tried, because I'm like, look, I grew up with Marvel. I have read far more Marvel than I have ever read DC. I claim to be no expert on DC. If anything, I, I am a Wikipedia warrior with most things DC. But but I wanted to get into them, and I signed up for, you know, the the, the month or week or whatever the hell it was of, of service on, on, on the DC universe, and I went to go read some of the comics, and there was nothing there. Nothing. Right. Nothing for me to read. Yeah, it's, it, it was like three issues per series. I'm like, how the hell do you get into this? It's, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's bad decision making, which I think really, really kind of hobbles them, which is which is unfortunate. And one of the things that Marvel has uh, so far, anyway, <laughs> that that hasn't come back and bit them in the butt. Yeah. Um, well, man, I think we've covered a whole hell of a lot. And I certainly don't want to take up any more of your time. And you have some stuff to cover with, with your, uh, 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 you know, where people can find you and what they can read. So if you want to touch on the She-Hulk thing at the end here, as well as reiterate on social media where people can find you, uh, this is your time, man. I will okay, not interrupt. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, the big thing I use these days is just Twitter. It's Twitter slash BJ Mendelson. Uh, I did want to put in a plug for Serial Box, which I think is a great company. And uh, I have to be careful what I say because not everything is out publicly. But what I can share with you, uh, because it was shared with Deadline.com back in February, is that pretty soon Black Panther, Thor, Black Widow, and Jessica Jones uh, will be getting serials on our platform. And what a serial is is essentially like this hybrid ebook and audio book where you can choose whichever format you want. Uh, with new parts of the story released in, in weekly formats, the same way the comic comes out uh, once a week on Wednesday. And so I'm really excited about those properties. Uh, I think that they're going to be a lot of fun. And it's just, if you like Black Widow or if you like Jessica Jones and you're upset that the show was canceled, uh, here's a place you can go to get more Jessica Jones content. So I just wanted to give them a plug. It may or may not be related to the She-Hulk thing. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I may or may not have pitched uh, <laughs> something to them. Uh, I, you know, I'll let people kind of fill in the blanks. 
uh, as to whether or not I did, because uh, again, I can't say too much. But I, so I really wanted to give them a shout. And coming up in September, they, they're now the official home uh, for the returning Orphan Black. So if people liked Orphan Black, the official continuation will be found over at SerialBox.com. So go check them out. They're great. Um, I, I really can't praise them enough, and I'm really excited about the Marvel properties that are coming up. Like I, I man, I am counting the days until those things are out. Yeah, and and we certainly are going to have you back on more and more to to discuss this stuff. Um, I just want to ask one question about sure, the serials. Yeah. How similar are these stories to uh, Wolverine's The Long Night um, and, and so on and so forth? How how is it going to be? Is it going to be similar to that, where it's it's actors acting it out, or is it going to be more of of of, of like written content that somebody reads audiobook format? Yeah, it's definitely more in an audiobook format. Uh, I liked the Wolverine series that they did over at Stitcher, but I, I don't think that's probably the right way to do it um, because I think that comic books are an immersive medium. So being able to have the ebook or the audiobook. Uh, it kind of allows that immersion in a way that you don't necessarily get with the Wolverine series, uh, as good as it is. You know, again, I, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing it because I, I enjoyed it. Uh, so Serial Box definitely is more like your traditional, uh, there's a narrator. We work with, um, well, they work with, with celebrity narrators. Um, Summer Glau is reading Alternus, and Titania Mazzanoli, uh is doing, you know, she was a star of Orphan Black, and she's doing the reading for Orphan Black. And so I, I think that that's, Definitely how they're going to lean with the releases. Uh, I can't say, like, who is narrating those things, because I don't know, and it hasn't been publicly announced just yet. Right. Um, but I would say, just based on Serial Box track record, I, I expect someone awesome. And one thing I wanted to add, the, the cool thing about the Serial Box format is that there's an actual writer's room, so it's not just one person that, that puts these things together. Like, it's, it's treated the way that your favorite TV shows are written. You know, they, they, there's a head writer, there's a group that gets together uh, that shares ideas and puts things to, together in order to give you the best possible story. Uh, and that's why I'm really excited about what they're going to do with Jessica Jones, for example, because it's the closest thing that we have to what Jessica Jones was over Netflix with TV writers working on that and having a writer's room. And uh, Serial Box works with a lot of great writers who have won a number of awards and, and have big audiences that... I think if you get them collaborating on something like Black Panther and Jessica Jones and Black Widow, you can see something really special. Absolutely, man. And I can't wait for those. I agree with you. Uh, audiobooks do sort of give you the ability to let your imagination run wild in a way that a scripted audio drama is sort of contained to the actor's performances and, and, and the settings um, that they introduce. Whereas, you know, you can sort of, create the red room in your head with the black widow or you can create the alias setting alias investigations in your head um with uh with jessica jones and so you know we're we're getting books we're getting scripted dramas we're getting animated series we're getting full budget uh television series and we're getting blockbuster movies that just no sign of slowing down Man, yeah, I, I feel bad for the people who said that superhero phase was getting old and was going to dry up. Yeah, I don't, I don't get, I don't quite get it when people say that. I, I think that it's just a genre, like any other genre. And the trick to the superhero films is that they're multiple genres within mm-hmm. the genre. Like that's you're not seeing a superhero movie when you see Ant Man. You're seeing nope. a heist movie that just happens to have superheroes in it. 
is saying a World War II movie or a political thriller or, you know, as was the case with Winter Soldier or a cosmic Star Wars uh, adventure, which, look, I never saw Star Wars in the theaters because I wasn't around in 77, you know, those things came out. But I imagine that people walked out of that the same way that I did Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I do. I just imagine that you were like, holy crap, I have never seen anything like that, and I must have more. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's how I felt after seeing Guardians, and I think that that's the reason why Guardians is consistently at the top, if not number one, number two, with people's favorite Marvel films, is exactly that reason. Like, you came out of there going, wow, I, I have my own, this generation has its own space opera. Yep, and that's what we've needed. We needed a space opera. Like, you just you just need space, man. Like, space. But, uh, man, BJ, I can't thank you enough for devoting what what now has turned into about an hour and a half uh, on the podcast. But I think we've covered everything that you and I wanted to cover and sort of talked about these things in a way that I hope feeds, uh, feeds into the creative audience that we tend to have on this podcast. Like, I hope you guys take this stuff, run with it, and come back with ideas uh, for us that, that maybe we didn't think of. So by all means, like we, we definitely want to hear your feedback. What are you most excited for? Which of these projects are, are, are highest on your list? Let us know. Let BJ know. Let me know on Twitter. Um, I know that Scott and Adam aren't here, but I'm going to plug them anyway. It's, uh, our producer, Scott, uh, you can find him on, on, uh, Twitter at sports speaks. Um, actually I think it's, I don't know what Scotty's Twitter is anymore. He changes it once a week. But if you look up Scott Johnston Fresno Twitter, you'll find him. Uh, as for Adam, though, he can be found on Twitter at Housito, H-O-W-S-I-T-O. Uh, he's got the little blue check mark next to his name, as do I, as does BJ. So it really should not be hard to find us. I am on Twitter at Fight on Twist, but you guys already know that. Um, BJ man, I can't wait to have you back on. I can't wait to do this again. Uh, thank you so much, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I, I look forward to, to chatting with the audience. Yeah. Uh, so we will catch you guys next time here on third and nerd. Uh, keep listening and, uh, thanks everyone. We'll catch you guys when we return. <laughs>